Hi, this is Rachel and Recover. We are back with Dr. Stacy Shore, and she's going to tell the rest of her story. And tell us how this might differ from neurofeedback or EMDR. Well, it's pretty different in the sense, as I mentioned, it's more of a brain fitness program. It's a way, like I, I kind of mentioned earlier when we were talking, it's a way of keeping your brain fit for life. So I like to think of it. Oh, so for example, let me give you an example. We, we um, tested these, we provided it to these teachers during the pandemic. And it was during the summer, the first summer before they were going to have to go back to school. And so there was lots of, you can imagine, as you know, we all know, anxiety that first summer, you know, a lot of people could leave their house and they didn't know if they would go back to school, et cetera, et cetera. But teachers in particular were very, very much affected and K through 12. And what we found was that the women who, it was mostly women who, who, who didn't take this training, they became more and more anxious as the summer went on and more worried, had more traumatic stress in their life. But the women who were doing this program just once a week, once a week live on, well, on Zoom, and once on a video if they wanted to watch it, didn't have that increase. So, you know, what that data suggests is that these programs help you not only recover from what has already happened, but they kind of prevent some of these symptoms from arising. Because we're all going to experience trauma in the future. We, you know, we don't necessarily know what it is or when it will happen, but most likely we're going to have something that's going to feel traumatic. And, yes, definitely. Yeah, and so we kind of have to prepare our brain. So I think of this more as a way, you know, again, not only of recovering from something that happened in the past, but also kind of learning how to respond to something that that will that will happen either now or in the future. I mean, because, well, and there are a lot of us that, there are a lot that have suppressed their memories and then they get them later in life. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think what people, you know, what people tell me, and, and I guess I even experienced, but what people tell me that after they do this program, they just feel less um, distracted. You know, they just feel more present, more calm. You know, we and less likely to ruminate. You know, the biggest finding we have every single study, they don't ruminate so much about the past. And, you know, I don't know why that actually happens. I, I do have a brain, I'm doing a, a brain imaging study now to, to kind of figure that out. But... It feels like it's just a, a, a learning how to discriminate between the past and the present and making a choice in a way about, you know, where you're going to focus your attention. Um, you know, we did do a study also because sometimes people say to me, well, we know meditation is good for us and we know exercise is good for us. So, you know, what's the big deal? And, you know, I, I, I get that. But we did do a study showing that 
if you do both of those together, one after the other, it's better than doing either one alone. So these are these are women who had trauma, primarily sexual trauma, and one group only meditated twice a week for 30 minutes. Another group only exercised aerobically twice a week for 30 minutes. And then another group did them together, you know, did the MAP training. And then another group did nothing. And and by far, the, the ones who, who had less depression and less rumination and greater self-esteem were those who, who did both of those activities, you know, back to back. Yes. Yeah. And the, that's super helpful, you know, because some people... I mean, I, I know, in, especially in Western culture, we are not ready. Many of us are not ready to meditate. I know. I know. I'm trying to make it, you know, more accessible and more. And I think also by knowing a little bit about how these activities change our brain, it, it kind of helps people know, like, oh, okay, it's, it's, I could try this. And, I mean, I've been meditating now for 15 years, and I still find it difficult <laughs> i mean it never gets easy um but i do know that it kind of helps me and i feel like afterwards particularly if i do the meditation followed by the aerobic exercises just i just feel better and you know i i try to get that memory of how i feel afterwards like recognize it like oh this is now this is how i feel now and I could feel like this if I just would make myself do this activity. One hour. It's like one hour and you and you can really change how you feel. So Yeah. Yeah. And the meditation too, like people think, oh, I don't you know, I don't have to become a monk and like move to a cave and sit in silence for, for hours on end. It's just thirty minutes, twenty minutes sitting, ten minutes slow walking. So it's something you, you can do. Mostly. It just takes a little effort. Oh, most definitely. Um, tell us about your current study with women on college campuses. Yeah, so I kind of um, hinted at that. So I have a study right now. You know, one of the things that I've been interested in and actually saddened by is how prevalent sexual violence is on, on college campuses. I think most people are aware of that, but uh, it's just so sad and so problematic. You know, these women come to school, they're so excited to go to college, and then you know, some experience happens and it, it can just change everything. And so I've been working uh, with the Victims Assistance Group, you know, at Rutgers, and for years now, really, on these studies and, and most recently we've been providing this MAP training program to, to women who've had this, these experiences. And then also what we're doing is scanning their brains. You know, we have a, a new brain imaging machine that's state of the art and it can kind of detect lots of different changes in the brain. And so one of the things that I'm interested in doing is uncovering kind of what is like, not only what is it that happens in response to this, to these kinds of traumas, but then how, what does the recovery process look like? You know, what does it look like when people start to, to say, Oh, I'm not ruminating so much and I'm not thinking about the past as much or feeling as much. My heart isn't racing every time I 
have a memory or something reminds me of what happened. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. It's going well, I think. One of the, you know, I guess sad parts of the story is that there's just so many women that want to do this. You know, it's uh, more than we can accommodate, really. And, you know, this is true across college campuses across the country. And, you know, so one of my, my goals would make to make this program accessible um, to, to these populations of people who, you know, maybe, like I said, don't have a lot of money to spend on therapy or even have the time or access to it. They could do oh, something yeah. like this, yeah. Most definitely. Um, how do you think the community could better respond to sexual abuse? I mean, the community, not necessarily college community, just just yes. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I, I do think that, you know, the Me Too movement and all the kind of sister movements that went along with that really did help a lot. Um, you know, five years ago, when I was doing some of these other studies, you know, it seemed like it was everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. It felt like there was a lot of incentive to kind of help people recover and also just prevention. You know, it's kind of died down a little bit lately, I feel like, and that's unfortunate. I, I still feel like people do know more than they did. They appreciate how prevalent it is and it's that it's a serious, you know, problem. One in three women in the world will experience, you know, sexual violence in their lifetime. That's not okay. No, it's not. No. And, you know, getting that information out, but again, not only about stopping it, not only about um, the kind of legal aspects of it, we also had to focus focus on on prevention, like just preventing it and, pre and when it does happen, preventing some of these negative consequences oh yeah most definitely um and i think i mean to begin with that i'm starting to acknowledge what consent is and i think yeah that is something that is not talked about enough and i know i think hollywood is you know depending on where you're at has actually started doing a pretty good job of at least opening that door yeah, I agree. I was actually listening to one of your previous podcasts, and, and in, in one of them you were talking about consent, and I was thinking, yeah, you know, that <clears throat> really is not talked about enough. Like, what is it? And particularly when you're young and you're in college or high school and, you know, you've gone through puberty, and, you know, that's when these experiences typically happen when women are young, and it's often their first sexual experience. Like, that's... You know, the first sexual experience, period, is a monumental experience in your life. And then to have it be associated with, you know, such violence is just it's just not okay. And I just feel like if everyone kind of knew, like, what what's at stake? Not only, like, you know, what is consent, but, you know, what is the possible consequences if, if, we, if you don't know what it is? And, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because shame is our worst enemy. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think a lot of us struggle with shame so much 
and it's debilitating. I mean, it is like carrying around an extra 50, 100 pounds with you everywhere you go. I know. I have a, one of my really good friends was really traumatized as a young child by her dad's friend. And then she, she was gang. I don't even want to talk about it really. It's so bad. And, you know, it still hangs over her head and she's in her 60s still all these years later. And, you know, at the time, she didn't really tell anybody. And, and, and even when there's kind of gang rape happened, no one would believe her. They thought it was her fault. And, oh, it just infuriates me. And it changed her life completely. And she's yeah. living with it today. Still trying to find help. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know I had a I had a professor, and her brother was sexually abused as a kid. He doesn't leave the house today. Ugh. And, I mean, and it's not just women that are experiencing this. I mean, men are too. I know. And they, and they don't have an outlet for it. They're probably even less likely to talk about it, too. Oh, yeah. And most of them can't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been surprised, you know, since I've been working on this, how many, just, just generally how many people have had experience, particularly when they were young. And some of them, a lot of them didn't even necessarily know at the time that it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they've done, all, they have to rephrase the questions. I know Allender does a lot of rephrasing of questions to just help men identify whether or not they've been sexually abused as children. Yeah. And, um... It's heart wrenching. And I have I have dated so many guys that have been sexually abused wow. and how much they have struggled. Yeah. And they don't have words in there. They don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about just sex differences in general in these <clears throat> in these uh, responses to trauma and you know, that is one of the kind of confounds is that men are often less likely to talk about it. They're less likely to seek help. Um, I'm sure you know that men are more likely to um, engage in, you know, suicidal activities. It's, and actually, yeah, it's, it's a problem. And it's too bad in a way that you can't stop it. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I wish we could, I don't know how that's ever going to happen, but we at least have to take care of people who've already, uh, you know, have already been traumatized by it. Most definitely. Um, has there been any improvement? Um, I think there is improvement. I, I do. Yeah. In my lifetime, I would say for sure, just talking about it more, there's more information, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's much more research being done on women and trauma, which were kind of ignored for a long time. So I do think there's been a lot of progress. And I, and I even think there's more openness about different types of therapies that could help, different types of practices um, that maybe weren't traditionally accepted, you know, in, in, in research circles and academic circles as being helpful. So 
you know, I think the internet and some of these um, apps too that that emerged during the pandemic. So now, for example, teletherapy, so people can get therapy online through Zoom. No, that's good. That's actually great because a lot of people couldn't didn't even have the access to go see a therapist or find one or could afford it. So I do think there's been progress. I do. And, and oh. I also think knowledge is power. So I think the more people know about how trauma affects the brain, that's my concern, the more likely they will uh, be to, to do something about it now. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, what are some of the best advice you could give to victims out there? Um, first of all, you're not alone. You know, trauma is common, and I don't know if that, that's not necessarily good, but it can be to some degree comforting to know that it's, you're not alone. And, and as a result, there's, um, there is help to be had. You know, you kind of have to seek it out. It's not necessarily going to be easy. I would also say that some of these approaches do require some effort. And I think sometimes people want like an easy fix. You know, take a pill or, I don't know, take some mushrooms or whatever it is and somehow be cured. And I'm not sure that's, the evidence suggests that's going to help or that's even possible at this stage, you know, so or have a brain implant of some sort. So I think kind of recognizing that this is a process, that healing is a process. It takes time. Just like if you had a, a back injury or a big cut on your leg, you know, those take time to heal. And, and, and similarly, our brain and our, and our responses to trauma, it just takes time. But it will, it can, and it will heal over time. Most definitely. Um, what do you do for self care? I do map training. Actually, I mean, one of the reasons I am so like compelled to get it out in the world is because it really does help me too yeah i kind of live it i um you know i don't do it as much as i probably should i i kind of have to do it sometimes because <laughs> i'm doing these studies and various things so sometimes i, I kind of have to do it which ends up being good for me um actually a couple years ago I, I did have a back injury and um i couldn't do a lot of things it was difficult you know sitting a long time it was difficult definitely to exercise and um it did, I, was, I did notice a difference. You know, I felt, I felt like I was really kind of down, a little bit depressed, really, uh, yeah. And so I do it for myself. I mean, I do recognize that, that people do have problems that can prevent them sometimes from doing a lot of these activities. But if you kind of just do what you can do, it helps, even if it's, uh, you know, less than what you might wish you could do um the thing that i also do is i just kind of make myself do it you know like sometimes if i wake up i'm like oh i don't really feel that good 
really not that optimistic about the future. Or I'm thinking about something I did that I'm really regretting. And I'm just like really in a bad headspace. I'm like, okay, Tracy, you need to do at least some exercise. Um, and even better, some meditation followed by exercise. And then when I do do that, I, yeah, I'm really thankful I made myself do it. No, I think most people could agree when you do, well, especially just with exercise. If they do their exercise, they feel better. Yeah, it's it's like a miracle medicine, but just getting yourself over the hump of getting doing it is the hard part. And the same thing with meditation. You know, meditation is actually even kind of harder, like getting over that hump. But, you know, once you sit down and like five minutes in, you're like, yeah, this is what I needed. Little silence. Most definitely. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to add that we did not ask? Um, can't really think of anything. I've covered a lot. I, um, yeah, I mean, for people that are interested, I do have this book, Everyday Trauma. It kind of covers a little bit of all what we talked about. It's a little bit psychology, kind of a lot neuroscience stuff. And um, map training, I talk about and other therapies that help people with trauma. I'm making, I just made some videos of my map train, my brain program. So I'm hoping to get those out in the next month or so so people can do them if they're so inclined. It's um, on my website called maptrainmybrain.com. Um, there's also a description of the program on my website. And so you can just do it on your own too. You know, I, I kind of like doing programs that are with either with other people or online, but other people don't, you know, they rather just kind of do their own thing. And so that's obviously perfectly fine. (laughs) And so, yeah, I just encourage people to, to get out there and find out what's available, kind of challenge yourself to learn something new, even if you think you might not like it or you think it's too hard. Like, you know, just get out there and, and engage your, your brain in the world. Most definitely. Learning keeps you young. It does. It keeps us, it keeps us alive. <laughs> that too. All right. I think that's it. Thank you for coming on our show. All right, guys, uh, you can follow us on your favorite social media platform, follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and uh, we also have a YouTube channel. And if you have any questions, always reach out to rachelandrecovery.com, and I will have Tracy's, Dr. Tracy's Shore's information in her um, bio um, at the end of this episode that you can read through. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel.